All right. Well, then we are here for another uh, wonderful Atomic Geekdom interview, this time with the the most dangerous man you have never heard of, or if uh, we want to be a little bit more realistic, uh, just uh, another great geek uh, who happened to be cast as the most dangerous man you've never heard of in the most recent Joe Ledger novel by Jonathan Mayberry titled Cave 13. Uh, we did talk to Jonathan about Cave 13, and now we have the villain of that piece. And uh, so, uh, of course, Jenny is here to, to co-host and to ask all these fun questions, but uh, we are happy to welcome Jason Adelot. Welcome, Jason, to Atomic Geekdom. Thanks for having me. Uh, in true supervillain form, I'd like to point out that I am the scariest man, not necessarily the most dangerous. Okay, the scariest <laughs> man. You are correct. I I, I did that uh, off it's, the cuff. and it's, I, it's burned into my brain. I totally get it. Uh, I will well, forever remember that line i, I should you. have known it too because you do have a shirt that says the scariest man you've never heard of. i do i uh um i went to uh, a seminar that jonathan and i attend every year uh called superstars writing seminar and as a surprise not only did i make uh, a shirt that said the scariest man you never heard of uh hashtag cave 13 I also made business cards for Mr. Miracle and uh, gave those to him. <laughs> logo and, and a tagline, which, of course, uh, escapes me at the moment. But, yeah, uh, I gave him some business cards. And so I, I stopped short of, of actually cosplaying as Mr. Miracle with the white suit and everything. But, uh, yeah, That's it was perfect. It was such a, a great thing for me that I, I had to go all out with it. And he, he loved it. So, of course, I don't blame you. So, um I would be remiss. Uh, Atomic Geekdom typically isn't my show. I, I appear from time to time. So I don't want to forget to ask uh, the typical Atomic Geekdom question. What is your geek cred? What are some of the things you really love and are, are interested in? Well, I, I always like to say people, geeks are very different now than they were when I was coming up, as I, I, most, I think most everybody would know. Um, everybody is a geek about something. You know, everybody sure. has one thing or many things uh i personally tend toward the more standard if you will geekdoms uh star wars sci-fi you know star trek is a huge one for me i've been a trekkie since 19 let's go with a while back uh because wow, my nice. parents were, were huge trekkies and i got to stay up late sometimes and watch the original series on tv nice. um but i would say the true test of uh typical geekdom uh, and this is not in any way gatekeeping or anything like that i just i think it's a fun question is to name the seven characters who wore the one ring um and uh, that to me is is like the ultimate uh sort of trivia i, I hate to say test because that that's a little gatekeepery but sure. uh, it's just one of those fun things to see how much you really know about that now I'm no Stephen Colbert. So, you know, you get deep into <laughs> Lord of the Rings and uh, especially the Silmarillion with thus and so begat, thus and so. And then you oh, have, sure. you know, Morgoth or, you know, all of that. It's way beyond me, even me. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's the one thing. I, I've always been a reader too. So anything about books, but primarily sci-fi and fantasy is really where my, my head's at with geekdom. But I also love board games. I have at last count over 276 board games. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I got huge into that. Cool. And with ADD, I tend to hyper-focus on something and then go all out and then forget about it. 
(laughs) Well, you'll have that. You did say two of my favorite words in the world, though. You said Star Trek. So I got to ask you, Jason, what's your favorite Star Trek series? Do you have one? Well, (laughs) that's a a good question. That's a good question. I have, on some level, I have liked them all, though. I think uh, Disco uh, Discovery was a little hard for me to get into for the first couple seasons. It was for a lot of folks, yeah. Yeah, I even liked Enterprise. Uh, Scott Bakula has my heart since, you know, Quantum Leap. You too. But, uh, I mean, that one was a little more, let's make some money and get some viewers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for certain various obvious reasons. Um, same with Voyager on, on the later seasons of that. But um, for humor, I got to give it to Lower Decks because Star Trek Lower Decks is absolutely fantastic. Um and I, his name escapes me, but the guy who plays Boimler. Um, oh, um, Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid. I knew Quaid, but there was. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, that series is is fantastic and fun and humorous, and uh, I thought the uh, the crossover with Strange New Worlds was amazing. Uh, the way that they made that happen, I just it blew me away. Um, Strange New Worlds, in in my opinion, is uh, as close to the feel of classic Star Trek that we're going to get, um, mm-hmm. that we've, at least that we've had in a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's it's just every time I turn around Stranger Worlds, it's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. How did you do that? You know, and um, Anson Mount has long been one of my favorite actors ever since Hell on Wheels. And uh, him as Pike is is incredible. He is fantastic. Well, and to, to Stranger Worlds is my current favorite. But classic TNG, mm-hmm. it's at my heart. I, um, yeah, I haven't gotten into strange new worlds or uh, not strange. New, I haven't got, I love strange new worlds. I haven't gotten into lower decks and, uh, I actually didn't like that crossover with lower decks at all. It, it made me less interested in lower decks than I already was, but, um, you know, you'll have that some things, but other than that, I, you know, TNG, the original series, but for my money pound for pound, um, Deep Space Nine is probably the best Star Trek has ever been. So. I had a feeling when you said you didn't like Lower Decks that DS9 was going to be your way to go. <laughs> uh, and I didn't like it initially. I watched it because it was Star Trek uh, when it mm-hmm. first came out. And then on a rewatch several years ago, I watched all of Star Trek. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, that That is commitment there. But Yes, uh, it is. I got a lot more out of it, especially because I'm older, especially because of the politics that were involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to get into politics because I don't believe that has a place in, in today's discussion, but um, I believe it that makes it a lot more relevant to me and, and approachable to me. Um, and yeah. I think it's really, really good. Cisco, um, Avery Brooks, who is, by the way, super tall in person. Is he really? I've never met him. <laughs> I'm like, damn, I'm six feet, you know, so I, I stand tall. I had to look, you know, he was, he was a tall dude um, wow. or is a tall dude. But uh, I really like it. And if that's your favorite, I, I totally get why you wouldn't like Lower Decks. Now, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to tell people something that I haven't admitted to very many people. I haven't watched Clone Wars. I haven't uh, either. But that's mainly because it's animation. And, you know, uh, mm-hmm. some, some kinds of animation I like, some kinds I don't. And for whatever reason, uh, the, the style with the Clone Wars and Bad Batch and uh, Rebels just doesn't draw me in so Mm -hmm. i haven't either and uh mostly because it's a time commitment it's a it's a big old series clone wars and so 
I will yeah. say I, I'm really liking Ahsoka. Um, yeah, I think it's absolutely incredible. Uh, brings me back to the Rogue One feel of Star Wars, um, and and Kenobi for that matter did the same thing. I I'm I, like I said, huge nerd and geek. Anything to do with Star Wars, I'll watch almost apparently. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a definite commitment. That's for sure. Nice. I'm I'm glad that you kind of said that. I don't. I thought it was like maybe because I'm a little bit older generation of, you know, Star Wars. I'm definitely the old school type. But um, I couldn't get into the cartoons, and everybody's like, you have to watch the cartoons. They are the best. They're the best storytelling, and it, I'm not into that style of animation either. So I haven't dove in. But I'm kind of on the opposite. I need to go back and revisit Ashoka because I couldn't get into it and I felt like there was too many easter eggs to the cartoons that people that I knew watched it were all in they were like they just did this they just did that and I'm like I don't know what you're talking about but um they're doing such a fabulous job with some of the Star Wars stuff like I did I I did really enjoy um Kenobi and Andor I think is probably one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time yes an amazing job with Andor so okay. Uh, One day I'll have to that, do that uh, full watch. I can't remember that actor's name, but uh, Diego Garcia, something. I think so. Oh, I, uh, Diego Luna, isn't it? <laughs> Diego, Luna is his last yeah. name, I think. Yeah, yeah Diego Luna. Yeah, uh, I've liked that dude since the Terminal. Man, uh, that was when when he was cast as Andor uh, in um, Episode Seven, Rogue One. Uh, well, yeah, sorry, Rogue One. Yeah, because obviously he wouldn't have been in episode seven. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when he was cast in Rogue One, I was like, oh, that's the guy. That What was he in? Right. <laughs> you know, I was very, yeah, yeah. I think he's uh, he's really, really good actor. And, and Andor is incredible. So. Quality writing on Andor, too. Like, I like that they took the time to tell the story and it wasn't just lightsaber fight into lightsaber fight with an explosion. Like, they... They really took it and was able to pull the characters out, which I think it's an interesting thing, even with Star Trek and Star Wars or any creative stuff now is how to hold the audience of like a TikTok viewer, because it, it's quick 20 seconds and you've got to get the whole story told. And then you take a show like Andor and you can span it out. Can you keep their attention through the whole thing? So it's interesting. I even during uh, Stellan Skarsgård had a monologue um, about sacrifice in Andor that was absolutely riveting. Uh, I mean, just I went and watched it three times in a row because his his performance and all he was really doing was standing there talking. Right, it's just a monologue, but that that uh, sacrifice. I've talked to several people who said, "Oh yeah, I just fast forwarded through that because it was too what? long." And I was like, oh, oh you've got to go back, force yourself to watch it because it's some of the most amazing acting. Uh, I mean, Stellan is uh, is incredible as an actor and he, and he is in everything, Avengers and everything else. But I'm uh, sorry, Thor uh, and the other stuff. But uh, in this that one scene, that particular series, he's amazing. But in that particular scene, uh, I mean, that's that's Emmy winning right there in, in my book. Um, yeah and i oh, man i can't believe anybody i did read recently something about like there's a new trend of people uh 
you know, I, I've always heard of people listening to audiobooks and podcasts at like one and a half, two times speed. And then I read recently that people are like watching shows at an accelerated speed, especially to get through the quote unquote talky parts. And I wanted to flip a table. I was like, this is not how you consume art. Like the talky parts are usually some of the best parts. The talky parts. That. Oh. And- I'm not trying to throw shade or anything, but this reminds me of uh, uh, a Britney Spears quote from when she went to Sundance, uh, where she said, I didn't like that movie, whatever movie she was referring to, because it was too thoughty. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, man. I mean, God love her. She's had enough to deal with. Uh, sure. But that, it, I think, is an example of pre-TikTok generation, because TikTok didn't exist back then. But um, mm-hmm. the attention spans, like you were saying, Jenny, just you know shorter and shorter and shorter and the writing has to be incredible which is you know hard on us um i mean we try to make for great writing anyway but um you gotta you gotta keep that viewer's attention and sometimes that takes lightsaber battles i think yeah that's what is great about i mean across all genres books television movies even video games the ones that stand out are the ones where the writers haven't caved to basically the marketing, the marketing team. They want to take the time to actually develop the character. And the characters aren't always, especially in the last like 20 years, characters are becoming more layered than they were before. Like in the 90s, you had the huge uprising of good guy, bad guy, and then anybody that was in the way, you know? Mm-hmm. And now the bad guys are sometimes the ones you're rooting for and the good guys are the ones that you have to question and I kind of like that trend but it is that weird imbalance because people do like their John Wick and explosions and superhero movies so I gotta tell you I, I love the John Wick series it is what it is and you go into it it's uh I don't want to compare it too much to Jason Statham's movies because John Wick I think is a different level um but I read a review once of uh, a Jason Statham movie. I think it was The Mechanic 2. Uh, and it said, the latest Jason Statham movie, let's not even pretend his characters have names. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's not a dig. That's not a dig. I, I personally, I love Jason Statham movies, but I go into movies and TV shows and stuff with, I think, a different level of expectation for the average viewer. Um mm. I go into a Jason Statham movie expecting a Jason Statham movie, not expecting an Oscar winner or, you know, anything like that. I expect a good old fashioned action realm, Transporter 3. I mean, come on, really? None of that stuff that they did in that was even really possible. But I enjoyed the movie because it was Transporter 3. It was a Jason Statham movie. Uh, As a matter of fact, I enjoyed the mechanic and, uh, you know, I enjoyed all the Expendables movies, but they're not exactly, you know, dialogue heavy. So, uh, I think it is important to to write layered villains and layered um, uh, heroes uh, as a layered supervillain myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can say that even as a writer and even as Jonathan's friend, I was still surprised by some things. Although um, he didn't give me any spoilers, but I did pick out what was happening by the end. Uh, and I thought it was really cool. If you haven't read Cave 13, by the way, for anybody who's listening, Highly recommend it. In my opinion, mm. it's the best Joe Ledger book yet. 
Yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit of spoilers uh, in this episode, just so just so we can speak a little more freely and don't have to to talk around it. And so I will say, yeah, I actually uh, I I always say um, I'm kind of a mark for twists. I pretty much see nothing coming ever. But there was a point in the book where for that by the way <laughs> oh i know i know i i and i know some people that just like they like i know what the story i know what foreshadowing is i i know what i i know what clues are but for what but when i go into something it's just not something i want to do i don't want to figure it out beforehand i just want to go with this i have friends that can't help it like no matter what they can't shut it off whether they're watching a movie or whatever they just can't shut it off they see everything coming and i'm like how do you consume anything but anyway um there was a part in this book where i went i know exactly what's happened and it's it's when um the the lion what what was the exact name of the the quote-unquote terrorist that was a separate person the lion's head or the lion's mouth they they he was sitting behind the curtain and he had the exact same body as jason in the silhouette and i went oh they're the same person and then at some point i figured out that not only were they the same person I can't remember the exact clue, but I went, oh, not only are they the same person, Jason doesn't know they're the same person. They are a divide. They are a split. And I went, I can't believe I just figured all this out. And it's not, it's not on. I went, wow, I got it. And it was cool. And it worked, especially the, just the, when it gets to the scene where he is sitting, staring at the blank computer screen, having a conversation with somebody he thinks is on the screen. I was like, this is really like, and you know, there's, there's tons of split personality stuff out there, but something about the way that scene was written. I was like, oh yeah, this is a little, this is very unnerving. (laughs) Like this is just not, (laughs) this is uncomfortable as hell. (laughs) What was great about that though, too. Like I, I actually, I, I thrive myself on trying to figure it out. I like to be like, knew it saw that coming but i enjoy that because it makes me feel more part of the story mm-hmm. and i think in this in cave 13 what made this book like stand above a lot of the other ones um is the simple fact that there are so many villains and so many um so many people just on rogue team and such as well following the different characters and how the characters are interacting with each other was I'm like, okay, where is this? And there's such a list of them that when it got to that scene and you realize that he's staring at a blank monitor, you're like, that kind of hit me. And I was like, I should have seen this coming. I should have. And I love the fact that I didn't just for the way that um, it happens with when it's realized. I can picture that whole like face of like, what the hell is going on? And it kind of just put the theme to the the movie or the book in general, but I really like that. Jonathan in particular is excellent at dropping those clues uh, to the twist at the end of the book. Um, and I haven't really discussed it with him in terms of whether he writes backwards. I know a lot of mystery writers and stuff uh, and people will will write backwards from the twist and then they, they give you clues and they, they, they disperse clues throughout the book. 
Um, I don't know if that's the way that he works with that, but uh, he's really, really good at that. And um, he did the same thing in, in the Cake and the Dam series, which uh, if you haven't read yet, also got to read it. Um, one of the best fantasy yep. books out there. Uh, and as a, as an author, and I'm sure Jonathan would say the same, uh, when we we try to clue somebody in on something, by the end of the book, there's that twist and they figure it out. Uh that's the moment that we love, uh, one of the many moments that we love. But that that truly is when we get a reader to the end and they go, oh, yeah, I figured it out. And then we confirm their what they figured out. It's it, it's absolutely wonderful for us. Um, yeah. One of the things that I really like, too, is uh, when you can't figure it out. Uh, Matt, you were talking about how do you consume anything? And I kind of have to yeah. switch my brain off when I go to the movies now because... I can I can see almost everything uh, coming. Like we we went, my partner Jen and I we went and saw the creator um, two nights okay. ago. Okay, yep. Uh, which is a very good sci-fi movie, um, well told, interesting premise, but it's it's kind of predictable in a sense when you've seen seven, eight thousand movies, however many movies I've seen. Sure. Uh, almost every movie is like, okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And we were watching something the other night on television. As a matter of fact, and I, I don't remember what it was, but I said, this is what she's going to say next. No. And sure enough, that was the next line. Oh. So, um, it was it was kind of like, well, but I I can kind of switch that part of my brain off and still enjoy it. Um, as a matter of fact, it was Resident Alien. We were we were going back and watching Resident Alien with Alan Tudyk. If you haven't seen that. I highly, haven't seen that one yet. No. <laughs> uh, hysterically funny. Alan Tudyk in in prime form. Um, who I was actually cosplaying when I got mistaken for Jonathan Baber. <laughs> Funny. Uh, yeah, I was, I was at Comic Blues. I was cosplaying Wash, and somebody walked up and said, are you cosplaying Jonathan Baber? And I said, no. And they took a photo, and I sent it to Jonathan, and he said, I have that shirt. It was a, it was a <laughs> shirt. So it was really, really funny. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we were watching that, and and just to, to say the writer's... I don't want to say we're predictable, but we do things in a way that draws in the reader. And if you're experienced and uh, and you know how to craft a story, sometimes you can see ahead. And mm -hmm. sometimes that's not great, but that the writing on that show in particular is really, really good. So I didn't even mind. Uh, I was just like, yeah. So uh, we do love gotcha. to, to give that to, to readers, though, to give that moment of, aha. And I just... Yeah. The one that that I am actively not trying to figure out, as a matter of fact, when he was on your podcast, uh, the Atomic Geekdom podcast, not too long ago, Jonathan mentioned that 250 some odd people figured out who Mr. Church is. Mm. I am not one of those people, and I don't want to know until Burn to Shine. So, you know, when I figure it out, when I read it on the page, that's what I'll what I'll read. It. I It's who he is, is a uh, person I had never heard of. And so I wouldn't have figured it out for the life of me. I well, just wouldn't. Tell me. We're going to leave. I that won't tell you. I won't tell you. I won't tell anybody, but uh, uh, who he actually is, I never would have guessed in 10,000 years. Like there, there's just no way I would have ever guessed it. So I'm surprised anybody figured it out, to be honest. Well, well Jonathan has a lot of smart readers, so. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, is, that's what's made the series so great. I mean, I stumbled into Patient Zero, like totally 
wasn't really searching for it. I had just finished. I think I was, I think I had just done the audio book for like Kirkman's um, Rise and Fall of the Governor of the uh, Walking Dead series and just audible like, hey, why don't you check out this? And I didn't have anything. And I was like driving home. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. Fell in love with it from the moment though that church is looking through his rose tint glasses there. Um, every book after you learn just enough about him, but not enough to actually know that I think that we're hitting that point in the story where we're going to have to know. Yeah. And, and Jonathan was saying, has said for a long time that he initially never wanted to tell anybody who church was. And um, he's kind of obviously changed his mind on that. And uh, fans, right. fans being what they are, we we've all said, we want to know, but yeah, uh, I, as far as patient zero goes, um, believe it or not, uh, the first time I met Jonathan, I had no idea who he was. None really? whatsoever. Never heard of him. Never heard of patient zero. Never heard of anything. As a matter of fact, uh, I can share that, uh, that photo that I was telling you about, uh, if you like. Of course. Um, but we met at uh, ZombieCon in 2011. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Jenny, just let me know when you're ready and I'll, I'll share that. Um, we met at ZombieCon in 2011 in the author's alley. And I happened to be sat next to him. I was uh, promoting and selling copies of my first book, <laughs> The Dying of the Light End, uh, which uh, had very different typography for the first edition and typography that I did and I am not a typographer so I, I'm a font nerd but I'm not a typographer so uh, I was selling copies of that sitting next to him and went oh hi I'm I'm Jason and we met and uh, lifelong friendship from that point but uh, I had actually never heard of him at all so I read the dead of night which which he was promoting that night or that that weekend uh, on the plane back and he was very gracious and took a copy of dying in the light and uh and uh, yeah, and so I, I met him there and I I read Di- Dead of Night and uh, I said, oh, wow, this is really good. Let me go see what else he's written. I started Patient Zero and now here we are. I'm starring as a supervillain yeah. in, uh, in Cave 13. So Well, we've talked around this quite a bit. And so obviously I, I want to talk about it more because you, obvi- you, you write your own books. How long have you been writing, Jason? Seventh grade, so uh, <laughs> years ago. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was recently going through some boxes of old papers, uh, trying to clean up my office, which it, you can't see it from here, but it is a mess. And I found uh, the copy of my first story that I remember writing, which was um, crazy awful. But well, I, all of all of our first stories usually are. What was really unusual, though, is I tried something with this story that I I think was pretty cool. I it was a it's called White Wolf, and it was about an alien wolf that came to to land and a young boy who finds it in the woods. And I was trying to tell the story from the perspective of the boy and the wolf, uh, so it swapped Ooh. back and forth, which is kind of an interesting idea. It is actually, yeah, I like that. Yeah, um, let, me, uh, let me show that um, that yeah. photo. Jonathan and I absolutely so this is uh this is Jonathan and I back in 2011 which is a really awful photo but uh yeah <laughs> hey. uh, so that's that's a really really long time ago 
Uh, and then uh, this is us uh, a few years later uh, at Comic Palooza. And you can see we wanted to take a photo just to make sure that everybody knew that we were, in fact, two different people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you put some glasses on, it'd be really, really close yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, that's really funny. So that's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I write books. I, I write um, right now. The only ones that I've got published are the Dying of the Light series, which is um, three different books. Mm -hmm. uh, they're pretty good. They're on Amazon. They're, I write under uh, Jason Christopher, though, uh, because okay. people want to try and, and search for my last name. That's why I chose a, a pen name. Uh, but uh, the zombie books uh, are doing well. Uh, people seem to like them. In fact, the first one was called The Best Zombie Book Since World War Z, which... <laughs> wow. Nice. I'll take that. Uh, Max Brooks, when I met him at Comic-Con, was not as happy with that. Uh, <laughs> oh. Uh, he really? did not find that as funny as I did. I was just like, Max, you wrote a great book. You wrote a great, a great book. Don't worry about it. I was going to say, you would think You're that Max he Brooks. Come on, man. I'm just it, I'm schmuck. Yeah. Is this, is this before or after the movie? Because I think that the whole conversation with World War Z kind of changed after the movie. It was, it was after the movie, uh, or I think the movie might have been in development. And I asked him about it, and he said, hey, they wrote me a check. <laughs> I said, okay. You know, I can't I can't. Well, that. no, you can't. So, but yeah, yeah. it's one of those things that like, th so this would be a good question for you then is with writing something, if a studio approached you and wants to develop it, would you be willing for them to go so off the tracks like they did with the World War Z book to screen? Or would you want more control where kind of like Gaiman does where he, everything has to be precise to the book? Well, see, Neil has the benefit of being rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really known and having the uh, the fandom to say, uh, we're going to watch whatever he whatever he makes um, because we know that he's got that control, right? So he had the fandom before the movies and, and the TV shows. Uh, I don't have that. <laughs> so... Um, it would, there is a number, um, it's not a specific number, but it is a, a obscene number, um, uh, that I could be paid to just, Hey, here you go. You have the rights and I'll walk away forever. Um, I like to say it's, it's a truly obscene. It's, it's not money. I burn money. It's, it, it's, it's money. I burn to keep my other money warm. money, right. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there funny. is a number, but. I like to think that I I wouldn't necessarily give up creative control fully because the story is important to me, just like it is to every author. But I mean, we all do live in the real world too. So, you know, at some point we have to say, well, that is a lot of money. So maybe, maybe so. Uh, and that would, you know, amount of, amount of money large enough would let me work on other books and other properties and, and write mm. full time. You know, I have, 127 different ideas for novels at the moment and wow. because i'm a little just a little anal retentive i have them all in a spreadsheet and uh so <laughs> i keep keep track of them yeah. that way that's uh, i mean hey good on you if i wrote four books a year till uh whenever i would be writing till i was 92 
at this point with just the the stories I have. Uh, it took me out. most of this year to write my very first novel. I've been I've been interested in writing my entire life. I I went to college for creative writing, and then I got out of college, and the the real world happened to me, and. Uh, uh, d depression and anxiety problems happened to me and my creativity poof, went away for several years. It was just gone. And then this year, you know, I, I was like, you know what, I've got this idea and I'm just going to go with it. And, you know, slowly but surely I banged it out and there it was. <laughs> now the first draft is done. So, well, don't feel bad. This, um, this behind me up here, this mm -hmm. is a book six years in the making. Oh, wow. Uh, that's the one I'm currently working on right now uh, about sapient griffins and uh, a world whose geography is unlike anything you've ever seen and uh, mechanicals and it's just it's a lot. But uh, yeah, so this one is has taken me quite a long time to write. Now, part of that is um, the pandemic. And um, but I, I think you bring up an excellent point. Uh, mental health is so incredibly important, not just in writing, but uh, particularly in writing, you know, and mm -hmm. when you when you feel off, you don't feel creative, right? Yeah. So it's important to have that, I think, to have that structure. And they say, you know, write every day, even if it's 10 words or 50 words or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's true, but also be kind to yourself. You know, not everybody can write every day. There's just life and mental health is important. So some days I go to the beach instead of writing. You know, um, I'm fortunate enough to live 15 minutes from a white sand beach, but, uh, you know, here in Pensacola, but uh, yeah, not everybody has that either. So just be kind to yourself as a writer. You know, you, you got a book done, whether it took a year or six years. Uh, now, this is going to be some of the best work I've ever done, but it's not done yet. Yours is. So who's winning, right? So <laughs> Sure. Yeah. The next thing I got to do is uh, get it published. Well, I got to edit it, but then I'm going to get it published. And yeah, yeah it is. Like you said, it's probably to make yeah, a few passes and then mm -hmm. uh, I'll be ready to query. And uh... but, but like you said, it, it routine helps. I, I found that the best thing for me for getting anything done was actually packing up my laptop and going to the library. Lack of it distraction is important. So much to just go to the library and just work there. So. I got uh, more done on, on this book uh, called Elwis, uh, by the way. Mm -hmm. Not that that matters. It's not going to be searchable or anything at the moment. Uh, but I've got more done on this book in the two weeks that I went to um, Kids Johnson's writing workshop in, in Kansas at KU uh, than I had in the previous two years. Since the last time I took this to Kids Johnson's workshop in, <laughs> wow. Kansas, uh, in 2019, right before the pandemic. So uh, hey, perfect. Having that lack of distractions, I was around uh, other writers, six other writers, seven other writers for two weeks, and we had nothing. I mean, we went and did things, but it was mostly about writing, you know, and so we just sat and wrote and had accountability meetings every day and said, did you do what you were supposed to do? And, um, you know, that's that's the important thing is, is the routine, whether it's a daily routine or just a, a regular routine. Um, and for me, anyway, accountability really, really helps. Um, I try to do a scene every day, uh, and that really has stepped up my game with the book, um, with the writing. I, I broke everything down into scenes, uh, and I started, I started thinking, 
started thinking a little bit like Jonathan, the way he structures his books. Uh, you know, the patient zero, the first chapter was one sentence, right? So mm. he writes very fast in, in, in a sense of pacing, right? So right. Uh, I don't necessarily want to do that, but I realized that I can break everything down into a scene and just write that scene. Instead of writing a whole chapter, I write a scene. And maybe that scene's only uh, 10 or 15 sentences long or, you know, 10 or 15 mm. paragraphs or whatever. But I can break it down uh, like you're eating an elephant, right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. Yep. Hey, that works. And I, you know, I, I'm always super interested in the way uh, people do, because I, I'm looking at all your um, mapping and everything back there. Um, I can't do that. I wrote the, I wrote my first novel by the seat of my pants. I sat down and I had a basic idea of a timeline in my head about this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this, and I just sat down and I went for it. And there were a couple times I got to a point and I went, huh, I think I got to think more about what happens and I would have to go and take some notes, but like, if I tried to sit and write it all down, like in your, your graph behind you and keep all those, and I had to take character notes and stuff like that. But if I had to sit down and do it all before, I probably still would have never gotten anything done. And, well, and you, you want know. to know a secret. This was only half done when I started uh, writing again. So, um, this is what, for those of you who may or may not be able to see it, this is called a W, uh, what they call a W in the writing world. And uh, it it sort of shows you the three-act structure. You have the intro, and then act one, then act two, and then you have the act three and the, and the final, uh, finale. And so you basically have the turns, which is where huge things happen uh, right. in the story, where the story turns, hence the name. Um, I didn't have most of that. Uh, I had like the first, maybe first half of it when I went to the writing workshop and then uh, with the kind advice, sometimes kind, sometimes truthful uh, advice of my friends, uh, I was able to to flesh it all out. And just being focused uh, on the writing was incredibly helpful. But you'll notice I also have this page, yeah. uh, which has act one, act two and act three, and then this is an example of the geography of the world. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's very, <laughs> very, very strange. Uh, so, that's I incredible. Think the thing to remember, as with any book, just write however it works for you. Yeah. Do it. You know, if if writing into the dark and pantsing is the way you, you get it done, get it done. Stephen King does that. Yeah. You know? Yep. Well, yeah, what's kind that's, of that's why we have books like this from Stephen King instead of books that could be like this. But that's everybody. Everybody's different. I'm not a huge fan of, of Stephen uh, King's books. I haven't met him, so I, I'm I'm sure he's a perfectly nice person. I just, yeah. you know, they don't work for me as well as they used to. I love his stuff, but even I can go. You know what? Sometimes he needs an editor. Like I know he has an editor but I'm not sure what his editor does, which I hate to say, but sometimes I I am reading a Stephen King book going, oh boy, there's a lot of this that could come out of this book. <laughs> I think though it was kind of like what we were talking about earlier with movies. It's like, I, I'm one of those that do love Stephen King, but I have to... I have to be in the mental state to go into a Stephen King book because I know what I'm going to get. I know there might be 10 chapters that can be completely taken out of the book and just 
drizzled down to a sentence. But if I go in, it's kind of that filler read where I know I'm going to love the characters. I'm going to love the overall horror or direction of the story. Mm -hmm. I just have to know I'm going to have to have the time to get there because it's not going to be a quick, a quick read. But going back to kind of what you guys were saying is growing up reading, I always, um, I always thought of authors as very individual. Like they sat at their one desk, they wrote their story by themselves type thing. And especially with like social media and just how many more avenues there is to connect people. I watch like some of these um, conversations. There is such a community of writers and everybody does things a little bit differently. But I love the idea now that everybody has each other's back. Like you can watch five, five writers get together and share what did they learn from each other. And we're talking accredited or first time writers. Um, so where, where I'm going with this is, especially for you, Jason, and Matt tap in as well, is do you find that that community helps propel and direct your stories? Or do you think that you would prefer to have it like the quiet library? When I'm actually writing, uh, I would prefer the quiet. Um, mm. But in developing the story, I would 150% rather have writers around me. Um, this book is going to be absolutely a better book, 150%, 200% better book because I was able to workshop the ideas and work through plot holes with everybody at the at the workshop. Um, and by the way, I highly recommend anybody who's wanting to be a, a fantastic writer, even better than where they are now, um, check out this this workshop. Kidge Johnson, K-I-J is, is her first name, Kidge Johnson. Uh, she runs a workshop in the summer at uh, KU, at Kansas University. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, it's uh, it's a residency, so you go to KU for two weeks and you write. And uh, the authors who are there, um, we we basically tear apart a story and put it back together better. And mm -hmm. I was able to ask questions uh, to find plot holes that I didn't even think about, didn't know existed, uh, and hundreds literally hundreds of ways to make my story better uh, and that's all down to other writers you know yeah. people who are i'm focusing on the trees they're focusing on the forest if you mm -hmm. if you take my meaning uh, and you don't have to go to to ku and spend two weeks in kansas and lawrence kansas which is by the way is a beautiful town lots to recommend lawrence kansas uh, incredible food too which that's I where the winchesters are from dean mm. and sam lawrence kansas <laughs> That's a series I tried to get into and couldn't, but that's, okay. I'm not knocking it. I understand. Yeah, sure. And yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, the fans are, are hyper vigilant about that. And I get it. I totally get it. Um, it doesn't have to be there. You can be at a, a local writer's group, find a local writer's group. Um, typically I would suggest a critique group, not just a writing group because critiquers will make you a better writer. Um, not everybody is meant to be a critiquer, so you will find people who probably annoy you, but you'll also find people who give you really good feedback. And that is incredibly important, especially when you're getting started. Uh, half the books that I've published through Greg Echo Press, uh, probably more actually, are from my writers, my first writers group. Uh, we got together and found a core group of six or seven people. And yeah. uh, uh and sorry, we we lost one of them recently, and it's uh, mm. it tugs at my heart a little bit, um, a, a lot. But of course, uh, uh, they they we called it Team Armageddon. They saw us through 
I think 21, 22 books that Team Armageddon wrote together before we kind of split off and and literally moved in my case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that uh, that critiquing was vital because they care about your story. They want to make it a story better. Um, most of them. Now you have people that are probably not in it for the good writing. Um, sure. You know, that's that's true of any group. So uh, I highly recommend a local writers group, a critique group, because they will make your story better. Yeah, it, it, it always helps because you can't just have you look at the book and go, this is, you know, you have to have other people look at it. Um, my first draft, I got, I got some really good friends reading it right now. Uh, one of whom I'm I'm meeting up with this week. She actually is a published author. She doesn't write the type of stuff I write. She wrote like a historical romance novel or everything, but she's a writer. And so she, she took it and she read it and we're going to meet up and she's going to give me some notes this week, you know? So I would also caution anybody who does get critiques to, it's hard when you, when you've got your baby and you've written your Mm -hmm. baby and you spent six years on it uh, to get uh, critiques uh, because, you know, it feels you get a little defensive by nature. Um, people are not out there to, to tell you you're a bad person for the way you wrote your story. Um, you know, don't take it personal. It is a story. They're trying to help you make it better. Um, and that's why you've got to be at least somewhat selective. Um, critique groups are great for like short stories or portions of your book. Uh, if you have a full manuscript that you want to get critiqued, I recommend uh, being very careful with who you select as a beta reader, Mm -hmm. uh, because some people will, inevitably you'll get beta readers who won't read it, uh, which everybody gets busy, totally get that. That's why I can't read my friends' books anymore, uh, like actual books, because I just don't have the time to get it back to them in time to make it useful. Um, But beta reading and critiquing are two very different things. And so when you when you choose to do either of those, make sure that you're setting yourself up for success by choosing the right people for that particular thing. I would imagine too, it's like I I'm not a writer, but just project managing and and just things that I've done in the past, there's a lot of times when I'm I'm writing instructions or I'm doing something of that nature. I'm so personally invested in the project that I'm working on that I can write it, give it to somebody and they look at it and read it in a completely different light. Like they take the, because a lot of stuff in my head is connecting because I have the big story or the instructions to this project in my head that, that second, that second eye or that fresh eye, it's amazing how one sentence could be, you can ask somebody to do something and they'll do it totally different. It's still right in the, what they read it as so I would imagine that's a huge thing because your story could be going one direction, but somebody might feel that it's going in a different direction. So that's incredibly uh, it's that's a reason uh, why it's incredibly important to get critiquers or, or uh, outside feedback beta readers, because um, and not to get too much into the diversity reading, um, but that's also important. Uh, and for that very that very same reason. Um as a day job, uh, I'm not lucky enough to do this full time, but as a day job, uh, I'm a technical writer for Hewlett Packard and I, I write mm. user guides and stuff like that. And so one of the things that um, that I picked up on very, very quickly in this job is that 
even a single word can be misinterpreted by somebody else. <clears throat> you know, um, because obviously for HP, we have a lot of localization, you know, translation into other languages and things. And so just as a, a quick example, you can't say power on in a user guide. You have to say turn off or turn on because power hmm. could mean something else when it's translated. So um, that's just a, a very small example of a nonfiction uh, work, but fiction is even more so like that. You know, it, it can be completely different between one person and another. Yeah, it's definitely true that, um, you know, it, it's just one of those things where, and obviously when you take critiques, you have to uh, kind of work through which ones you really think are going to work for your project and and which ones aren't because everybody that that might critique it might have something to say that once you examine it you might go you know what that's not really going to work and somebody else might have something that you go duh i should have thought of that myself you know so it's it's about parsing a lot of that information too yeah that's definitely one of the challenges we get with the feedback because you can't make everyone happy just let right. go of that idea from the very beginning. You're you're never going to make all of your readers happy. Um, there are a lot of things with my my uh, zombie books that people didn't like, and I understand that and I accept that, and uh, I think your opinion on that is very valid. But I'm not going to change it in my story because at the end of the day, it is my story, and if I'm willing to accept the consequences of telling the story that I want to tell, then okay. Um, now that's not to say I'm I'm gonna, you know, do something really truly truly awful. Um, but uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. But uh, you know, we're amongst friends, it's okay. <laughs> we get I it. That. I'm very very disappointed <laughs> about that. But uh, you know, I'm not going to make a choice that I think would be would be bad. I'm going to stay true to myself. You know, I mm -hmm. think and the story that I want to tell. Uh, I'm going to take and accept feedback, but I'm not necessarily going to change things because of it. Um, and I think you have to mm -hmm. set that expectation with uh, people who critique your work or give you beta reader, uh, beta readers and that kind of stuff too. I'm, I'm glad you vocalized that too, because I know there have been series that I've been involved in and once they've gotten popular, the story has changed in the direction that the fandom wants, right? So they become more fan fiction than the actual initial story that you, that you start. And um, it's got to be difficult, though, because some of the ideas people have are great, but it's not necessarily the direction needs to go. It's kind of like a cliffhanger in, in, in any story or any movie and such. I always appreciate when the creator leaves it open-ended and I can formulate, well, I think this is what's going to happen or I can do this, but I always like it when they make the decision for me. You know, I, I mm -hmm. if I got to make the decision... Like it's a choose your own adventure and such. I don't know if I would like it as much because I want that author to direct me or to have, because some, some great series have fallen very flat the moment the fandoms have gotten involved. Well, in there's, there's something to be said for listening to your readers. I think like you were saying, um, but there's also a lot more to be said for staying true to what you feel the story is. Um, I'm kind of, in a different place with open-ended stuff like especially movies um like uh can't believe i can't think of that and the one with leonardo dicaprio um inception 
exception, hated that ending. Hated really? It. Yeah. Loathed it with the fire of a thousand dying suns. Huh. With movies like that, uh, you know, like uh, that one and Cube. Uh, and I haven't seen that one. Is I don't recommend it for a lot of reasons, but also <laughs> uh, even Summersby, for that matter, uh, if you want to go way back. Um, when when a director or a writer leaves the ending of it open to interpretation, <clears throat> like Inception, did it wobble? Did it not wobble? I not only do I feel cheated, but I feel annoyed uh, because mm. I feel personally, and I'm not criticizing anyone's storytelling choices. Tell the story you're going to tell. Um, people like it. People won't like it. I'm not trying to, to shame anybody for liking what they like. Let people like things, right? Um, right. Personally, I feel like that's, I was told part of the story. Uh, as an author, I want to tell a story beginning, middle, and end. Uh, with a movie like Inception, I felt like, well, where's the rest of the story? Uh, well, and that's that's what annoyed me the most. Is I wasn't given, I was told to figure it out, which is not why I read or watch movies or things like that, personally. Uh, sure. So, that brings up yeah. an interesting question, too, because with genres and things, like I go into most Christopher Nolan movies going like, is he going to tell me the story or do I have to listen to the pace of the music to figure mm -hmm. out what dream level we're on and et cetera, et cetera. So you, you got to prepare yourself for that. <clears throat> but for genre speaking, whenever I yeah. read that I like and I'm trying to, and somebody says, what type of book is it? It's easier for me to tell them like a quick plot summary than me go, well, it's a sci-fi book or it's a mm -hmm. fantasy book or it's a horror book because books overlap so so easily like even with cave 13 it's kind of a horror book but it's also like a military suspense book and it's how do you when you approach a story how do you approach the little hashtags that would go to it on like it's a horror book or it's a sci-fi book how do you line that up uh, i i i want to say that i have very specific rules but i don't i i dislike genres mm. uh, in, in that sense um my buddy george wright paget uh who's one of the first people i published also has one of my top five sci-fi novels ever called spin down highly recommend it um and my favorite steampunk book which i also published mm, thank you very much uh you heights uh, fantastic book um he doesn't write to genres either uh and he's not a uh a sci-fi author or a steampunk author or he's written uh sci-fi hard sci-fi which is uh spend down Heinlein and, and uh, Isaac Asimov uh he's written Adelton Heights he's written Drift Pattern which is another sci-fi novel it's about time travel it's his most recent one highly recommended but also very thick um uh and then he's written uh horror mystery you know in uh in Cruel Devices so I I think George is probably one of the most um he's he's an author i tend to follow because i don't i don't like to write to genre i like to tell a story and whether yeah. that's a zombie horror mystery sci-fi novel ish post-apocalyptic um or a story about sapient griffins or you know uh a uh my i have a fourth book that i've finished but haven't finished revising called steak tartare which is uh, about set in the 1940s with a detective. It's it's what I call noir light. 
And so I don't I don't stick to genres either. And I don't think my stories will either. Um, the one thing I've, I've discovered recently, though, is that most of my books are post-apocalyptic. And I don't know how that happened. Most of my stories tend to be post-apocalyptic. Even if, like this one, it's a thousand years after the apocalypse, it's still technically book. I don't know where that comes from. Um, but, you know, I think if you try to write to genre, you're going to much coffee let me settle down uh <laughs> here's here's the deal there are in my opinion two types of writers writers who and there's a lot of writers but in general you can put most writers into one of two camps they write to market uh, which is usually very profitable or they write to story which is sometimes profitable but not necessarily as profitable um, it's mm -hmm. about whether you're you're writing for what the market will bear. And there's a lot of very professional, very good authors who do that. Uh, they write books based on what's selling at that moment, which is great. Um, I am unfortunately or fortunately not one of those. I, I tend to write what's what's currently burning a hole in my head. Uh, as a matter of fact, my website, my author website is thefireinourheads.com. So that's know, awesome. Uh, it's it's currently under construction and has been for a minute. So, you know, disregard that. But uh, I was on a panel at Comic Palooza several years ago and we were uh, we were talking about books and uh, it turned into one of my favorite panels that I've ever done. And I've developed a workshop after it. But that's that's the whole thing. Uh, one of the other authors uh, responded to the question, why do you write? Uh, and they said, because it's the it's the fire in our heads. It has to go somewhere. Uh, and I kind of leaned over to her and I said, can I, can I use that? <laughs> you know, and, and she said, absolutely. So um, that's, I write whatever's, whatever's currently burning a hole in my head, um, whether that's marketable. I, well, I, I might concern myself with that a lot more if I was doing it as a full-time gig, which paradoxically I could possibly be doing as a full-time gig if I wrote tomorrow. So see, you see what I mean, but I, I don't pay too much attention to the hashtags because Theoretically, everything I got could have, I've written could have uh, 15 or 20. That's awesome. I, I like that a lot. Um, I'm kind of like that. If I go into a bookstore, I have to bounce like the different subjects. Like, I'll be like, kind of want a horror book, but I don't really want horror. I want, you know, so you have to kind of bounce around the store a bit to find exactly what you're looking for. Um, with that said, though, you know, obviously, books have influenced your life and such what are the ones that you can go back to over and over again do you have like one or two books that you have read so many times you've lost count that it, you would put as your staple of like maybe one of your favorites well I currently have over 3,000 books in my library um, I actually have a library and one of the rooms of my house is a library very uh, cool Florida ceiling bookshelves. It's also where I do a lot of my creative stuff. Uh, tangent. Uh, I also have a design, uh, creative design company. And uh, recently I've been getting into creative stuff like paint by numbers and non Lego builds and Lego builds and, um, you know, those little flower shops you put together or the little builds mm -hmm. of miniatures, right? So um, that's also my workshop. But uh, I, to answer your question, Jenny, um, Fantasy-wise, Wheel of Time. Uh, I haven't reread it in a while, but um, now with the show, which is a different discussion, 
Hmm. Put that over here for a minute. Um, I want to go back and read them, although I will probably skip eight, nine, and 10 because um, Jordan was not at his best uh, for obvious reasons uh, during that time. Um, so those were huge for me. Um, Sci-fi, anything Asimov, um, I've, I've read Foundation, I don't know how many times, um, and love the TV show also. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I have so many books that I don't tend to read a whole lot of them over and over and over again. But, yeah. you know, when I was younger, I read the, the Zant series by Piers Anthony uh, over and over until I got to about book 13 or 14 and realized these were the same book. Um, uh, of a fandom creating the series uh, he figured out the formula and kept writing books and kept making money so you know who's to say that's wrong um, but it, it I kind of stopped reading plus I kind of aged out of the uh, of the fandom for that uh, I mainly read sci-fi and fantasy uh, and Asimov is probably one of my biggest but also I, I started reading um, thrillers you know Jonathan's books, Jonathan Mayberry's books. Um, a lot of people from that uh, kind of follow on to other authors from that. And my to be read bookshelf is a floor to ceiling bookshelf. So, you know, there's there's all kinds of authors out there. I just say reading is like uh, is like drinking wine. Read. Yep. What you like. And um, uh, as as I always say, just come to grips with the fact that i'm gonna die with a tbr pile it's just i'm never gonna read every book i want to read <laughs> yeah maybe i should write to market then i could do this full time and read all of the day you know? yeah i i one of the things i love about my job is i do get to spend most of the day listening to audiobooks so mm -hmm. i do get through more that way and it's still like as many as i get through that way i'm still not gonna get through all of them <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can't listen to audiobooks for, for whatever reason. They put me to sleep listening to somebody read to me, puts me to yeah. sleep. And um, I will say I bought my very first one not too long ago. Oh. I bought Cave 13 because it was read by my friend Ray Porter. I, I say my yep. friend, we're associates. Jonathan introduced me to him last, last year at Superstars. Um, and uh, he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. And he's an incredible reader. So yes, um, that was the first one. And and just to listen to Ray read that first line, I was like, okay, maybe I can listen to this one. Maybe I can Yeah, I well, I, I work on my feed. I deliver mail, so I, I don't get the opportunity to fall asleep because I'm walking all day. So Thank it you. does it, you know, it, so it so it helps out that way. But you're right, Ray Porter is great. I love he reads uh Peter Klein's Threshold series, which yeah. a few of those books are only available in audio. Peter doesn't have um interestingly enough it was it was an interesting choice and i i like it i'm fine with it because it's ray porter but they're only audiobooks i think the last there's four books in that series currently and i think one or two of them are only available in audio right now so yeah they do a they're doing a new thing with um audible where audible has audible exclusives and they'll mm -hmm. add things and i think mayberry's done one or two for a different series i can't remember he has a an audible exclusive it's a short it's called lullaby it's not very long but it's it's good and it's there and that's an audible exclusive so speaking of, of writing to market with with peter's books that's why he doesn't write the x series anymore um because mm. people just weren't buying them and mm -hmm. to me that's that's incredibly 
sad because I thought those were fantastic books. Yep. You know, zombies and superheroes. How could you not like it? I don't know. I don't know. But Peter is another one that I I've just loved everything by him I've I've ever read. He's great and he's a great guy to talk to and he's a lot of fun. So um I thought of another series, uh the Honor Harrington series by David Weber, um, who I got to meet a couple I years ago. That one. Con, uh here in, in Pensacola. Um his his series is absolutely the Honor Harrington series as a whole is really, really good. Uh, he's Here's my notebook. <laughs> he's written um, uh, a whole. I mean, there's I think 14 books in the series in the Honor Harrington series, um, but he's written uh, he's written with other folks as well, um, and uh, you know highly recommend those. Um, uh, my friend Kevin J. Anderson uh, has written the Dune books. Uh, he keeps wanting getting me to try and read them, and well, he doesn't. He tells me I should, but he doesn't doesn't like break down my door to force me to read them. Um, sure, and you're uh, just like I promise I'm getting to them. I just don't have enough time. Yeah, and the other thing is that I kind of got burnt out on Dune when I read the original one, and then the second one, and went. So I need to give Kevin's books uh, and Brian's books a couple uh, couple mm. chances. Um, his uh, Clockwork Angels series, though Kevin J. Anderson series, uh, Clockwork Angels is fantastic. So you definitely check that out. Awesome. Um, yeah. Jenny, did you have anything else you wanted to to ask? Or you I was set? looking at the clock and I'm like, I think we could continue this for another two hours. There's so I, much I, more to chat about. <laughs> but I have been known to talk. That's <laughs> all right. I just I just was thinking that I just wanted to, I mean, I could keep going forever and ever too, but I was just thinking I wanted to be respectful of everybody's time. So, <laughs> no, even though I know you both said you have nothing else to do today, you know. <laughs> Just, this, um, I always I always try. Appreciate that. This has been a great like this this conversation went in a completely different direction than I thought it was going to go today, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Like I actually think that we yeah. we nailed a better one than I thought. Um just out of but, curiosity, where did you think it was gonna go? <laughs> I well, I knew we would talk a little bit about a yearbooks and and Mayberry's books and then just books in general but I love the idea that we I love the fact that we talked about the process mm -hmm. more than the existing the existing stories that are already out there because mm -hmm. the process does drive everything it drives yeah. whether or not your characters are going to fall flat or well, it, it, gonna have a book that should be edited yeah and it is especially going to happen a lot when you get two people who are uh creative and familiar with the process in the same space that's <laughs> that's bound to happen jason i did want to have i did have one other thing i wanted to do just real quick just because you did you did manage to become the villain of of cave 13 uh by winning winning a charity auction and i just want to shout out you know obviously the obviously the prize was awesome but uh you know donating all that money to charity was awesome just 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 shout out the charity and and all that good stuff well, just you know it's, it's actually a good story if we have time i can I yeah can of course go story. for it uh so uh the the charity is is really superstars writing seminars does um sponsorships every year uh they mm -hmm. do sponsorships and they do grants and uh and things like that and so what we do every year at the end of superstars is we have a, a charity auction which all that money goes to um, allowing people who apply uh, to come to the seminar. Yeah. And the uh, the full ride uh, scholarship is not sponsorship, scholarship 
uh, is roughly around seven hundred dollars because Superstars is not inexpensive, but it, mm -hmm. for my money, it is the best four days in in writing, the the best seminar you need to go to if you're an author. Um, and there are scholarships. And so what the charity does is it it, it provides funding for those scholarships. Um, and in the last few years, we've added uh, additional scholarships, diversity scholarships, and uh, so forth. Uh, and what we do is we we use that money to raise raise money for those scholarships. And the charity auction is a lot of really cool stuff. We we oh, as authors, Greg Gecko has several times. Uh, Greg Gecko is the company, the publishing company I run. Mm -hmm. um, we've donated books and. Um, one of the the key items that Jonathan usually donates uh, is uh, being tuckerized in his book, um, and that's what what it's called when you when you take somebody uh, and you put them some real life person and put them in your book. It's called tuckerizing. Yep. Um, presumably, I believe because the person who it was known for was Tucker. <laughs> so, um, and it can be either your real name or you know a different name, and it up it's up to the person and the author. But it's a hugely popular thing um, for Jonathan to to do that uh, in a Joe Ledger book as the the key item, the last item for the charity auction. Uh, and as it happens, uh, the year before I uh, I won the auction, uh, my friend Maya um, Cleave uh, won to be Tuckerized in uh, the Rage, I think, or Relentless. Whichever mm -hmm. one was before Cave 13. Relentless, uh, yeah. Relentless, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Maya was uh, enthusiastically departed this life as a hero, uh, the hero that she totally is. Um, but I was very upset because I had I had bid on that and bid on that, and she outbid me, and she won. And so when, when it rolled around last year and I said, uh, okay, I'm not getting outbid this time. Uh, Little did I know that Jonathan had donated a second thing to the, the auction, which was a an arc of Keg in the Dam uh, in paperback, which had nice. obviously not come out yet. And so I, I outbid my friend J.T. Evans, who's a fantastic author. If you if you want to look him up, he does really, really good sci-fi stuff. Um, and he was very annoyed with me, as I was with Maya, because I outbid him for that arc. And I bought him several drinks later. Um, so that one came up and then, uh, James Artemis Owen is the MC for the, the auction. Uh, if you don't know who James Artemis Owen is, you need to, because he's an amazing illustrator and writer and, uh, just an incredible person. One of my, my favorite human beings on earth, my own personal Superman, um, uh, James Artemis Owen. And he, so he was, we, we set the, uh, the paperback of our, the, of the arc, we got that done. Uh, and then we, he was getting ready to announce the next bid. And I stood up and I said, James, how much is a full scholarship to seminar, to the superstars writing seminars? And he looks over at Kevin, who's sitting beside him. and $729, $750, something like that. Around $700. Uh, and I said, thank you. And I sat down and James said, okay. And uh, so he goes, our next item up for bid is to be tuckerized in the next Joe Ledger book, Cave 13. And I stood up and I said, $750. <laughs> awesome. And, and the whole crowd goes, what? You know, even Jonathan was taken aback. And uh, James looks around, he goes, done. <laughs> he said, I think we're just going to call that here. <laughs> so, That's sold great. For $750. 
and so I didn't technically win the charity auction. I basically bought my spot as uh, hey, you know, but that's very super villainy, right? Yeah, so- <laughs> it's very super villainy. Number one and number two, it's also very superheroy because you know, like you said, it's it's a great opportunity for somebody that might not be able to afford to make it to be able to make it you know exactly so. that that was my thinking not only do i get something incredibly cool because i had no idea what the role would be at that time uh mm-hmm. you know i didn't know i was going to be a supervillain. i just knew that i was going to be in the book and i thought how cool is it that i can help somebody else get to superstars and i i got to meet some of the people who got to come this year from that donation which was really really cool that's awesome uh, and then after the auction, we were we're kind of milling around and talking. And Jonathan, I I, I was talking to Jonathan, and uh, I have another photo, but I I can't find it at the moment. <laughs> so um, he said, "Do you want to be a hero? Do you want to be a villain?" And uh, and we were kind of how how much of a role do you want to have? And because he's he's Jonathan, right? He's he's really cool like that. And he said, mm-hmm. "You know what? You know." He interrupted himself. He said, "You know, you donated a whole scholarship." I haven't named the big bad yet. And I said, done. I would love to be a supervillain in a Joe Ledger book. Uh, And he said, do you want me to use your real name? Do you want me to use a different name? I said, if I'm going to be a bad guy, I'm going to be a bad guy. Me. Yeah. (laughs) Authors are all about credit, right? So of course. (laughs) And the first idea that you're like Santa and you're Mr. Miracle in the book, you know, it's it's so It's, it's it's such a weird juxtaposition of like real you evil villain you like it's awesome we had a lot of conversations about uh how he would describe me what even what drink i like like the drink Mm -hmm. that uh that i drink in my favorite scene in the book where uh you know he snaps his fingers and everybody turns yes you know um that i was like wow that was such a cool moment but we we talked about everything like that and being described as a slightly slimmer Santa Claus down to the blueberry blue eyes. And, you know, uh, you looks like the, some, like somebody you would leave your kids with knowing they couldn't be safer. Yeah, no, he's a monster. I mean, that's <laughs> first rattle out of the box. Not I first chapter, first page of the first yep. chapter. And, and Jonathan has set the scene for the whole book for me, at least. And I read that and uh, I got to read it a little bit, a little bit earlier because mm-hmm. Jonathan's cool like that. Uh, so he sent me the unedited manuscript, which Very was cool. really, really cool. He does not do that for everybody. Not that I'm, of course. I'm not saying I'm cool. I'm saying don't expect that if you get Tuckerized. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I, I was, I was reading the whole thing, and I was just, it blew me away. But that, that first, that first line will forever burn in my brain. You know, Jason Adelot is the scariest man you never heard of. Yeah. Very cool, my Jason. Friends all, my friends all read that. They were like. oh boy jason thanks so much uh shout out all your books and and your publishing company and all that good stuff again before we get out of here yeah i own uh gray gecko press g-r-e-y because i'm an anglophile i guess gray wait greg gray gecko press like gray echo gray echo like like the lizard the gecko I'll put some notes in the uh okay. in, the, in the show yeah. notes. Uh, we have we have everything from Asperger's to zombies. We do fiction and nonfiction, and mine are the zombies, obviously. Uh, the series is the Dying of the Light. This is the the third book in the series, beginning, which is the third book, the Dying of the Light. Yeah, the Dying of the Light. Um, interesting uh, side note: I got 
a review of the first book that told me I ripped off the video game, The Dying Light, uh, which I thought was interesting because my book came out in 2011 and the game didn't even start development until 2012. But, you know, that's why I don't read reviews. That, well, and mm -hmm. there's, I don't know if you've heard the terminology, but there's a lot of things that are happening like that. Like you mentioned the creator earlier, there's a comic book called Descender that's almost the same storyline, but there's this new terminology called separated at birth, mm. which they're not stolen off of each other, but they started around the same time and they're similar stories that were never connected. There, There's a phrase in, in uh, bioscience, it's called parallel evolution too. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I write the zombie books. I'm currently working on the Sapient Griffin story called Elwis, hopefully due out next year, maybe. We'll see. Uh, Steak Tartar is the uh, the Supper Club series, which is uh, noir light beach reads. Um, and uh, Go Ledger Coffee keeps it all going. <laughs> you didn't get the uh the cup of sadness is that the other one the sadness water is not coffee you're gonna drink coffee drink coffee <laughs> very good it doesn't, very doesn't good. fuel anything for me it doesn't you know all all props to rudy and everything but it does it doesn't work for me so yeah that's that's my books uh the company is greggeckopress.com i know uh, exactly who i'm gonna be submitting my book to <laughs> <laughs> well we'll see we'll see yeah, That's I know. Good. It's got to be good, man. It's got to be. Good. I know. I know. <laughs> this has Thank been you. such a fun conversation, and anytime I, you have anything new out, you are always welcome back. I'm anytime you want to reach out. I'm happy to talk, as should be obvious by now. Yep, obviously. But like she said, come back and and shill all your new books. We're we're happy to talk about all your books whenever they're out. I will. And, I, and I, we're I'm here. especially happy when this one is done. Uh, it's it's not like anything I've ever read, which is one of the reasons I'm so excited for it. Well, we oh. over here at Atomic Geekdom and Two Broke Geeks, like we we love to chat about anything and everything that's that's cool, that's cultural and geeky, and you name it. So even if you read a book, if you get to one of those two read books, and I'm you're a, like, I need to chat. Culture nerd. I, I actually used to host for a company called Geeks Who Drink. Um, uh, they're a trivia company. Uh, I used to host for them and. Uh, and do weekly trivia nights and so anything pop culture related i'm uh, john that's one of the reasons jonathan and i get along so well is because we're such pop culture nerds although he has a much cooler coffee cup than i do mine only has geckos this is this is actually why the company is called gray gecko press is because i bought this coffee cup but his his has tentacles coming out so i just i just like to yes. say on that on that side thanks cool. guys thank yes. you so much thank we'll you. talk soon <laughs> yeah absolutely bye-bye